All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are continuing our study in the major prophets. We're in Lesson 62, Ezekiel 20 and 21. Uh, you, Kevin, if you, were to, if you were to rate Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, where's Ezekiel on your, on your radar? Depends on what we're rating. Uh, well, favorite? I actually think Ezekiel's the most vivid. He is. I, I'm actually excited. When we get into uh, Ezekiel 27, we're going to talk a, a little bit more, which isn't this week. It's going to be next week, but uh, like about how graphic all of his things that God's asked him to do. You know, remember he's like digging holes. You know, he's laying on his side. He's got all kinds of these mannerisms that he's been asked to actually walk out. So yeah, Kevin, it, it is a fun one, but it feels, and we said this yesterday, it feels like with Isaiah and Jeremiah, it wasn't, well, Isaiah 1 through 39, you guys, was like doom and gloom, right? So Ezekiel kind of has a little bit of this in him. He's tired of hanging out with the, the elders. He's tired of hanging out with the exiles. And God keeps giving him words for the elders. And the elders, how else do you say this, are basically faking it. Like Ezekiel knows the heart of the elders. He knows the heart of the religious uh, and so that's really what we get into. We get into Ezekiel 20. I know we didn't talk much about Ezekiel 19, but the reality is, uh, just as a quick, you know, overview, in Ezekiel 19, 1 through 9, I like, Tom Constable has a good summary of this. It's a figure of a lion and her cubs to describe the Davidic line and the two of its kings. So we didn't even get into that, so, but I want you to, I want to emphasize, don't miss Ezekiel 19 with the lineage. And then in verses 10 through 14, you have a figure of a vine used to describe Israel, which is really talking about its final strong branch or its king. So Ezekiel 19 has a really unique emphasis on the Messiah, on uh, the, the line through, through David. So again, I don't want you to miss that because we're talking about so much history. <laughs> so when you get in Ezekiel uh, 20... Specifically, verse one. The one thing I think is really interesting and confusing. I know that sounds weird. Is the dates? The dates mark Ezekiel's history, and in fact, the next couple of days we're actually going to walk through the dates of Ezekiel's life because I think you're kind of like, where is he right now? Is he in the third heaven? Is he down on the? Is he out in the on the chin, uh, at the channel, or is he in his house? Right. Here's one date. Uh, just August fourteenth. 591 BC. That's what we're talking about in Ezekiel 20. It's so crazy to me how they can pinpoint that. But usually most people don't actually argue about certain dates. And this is one of them. On August 14th, 591 BC, it says, In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month. Well, praise God, that's August 14th, 591 BC. <laughs> Some of Israel's elders came to consult the Lord and they sat down in front of me. You know... If I was a swearing man, I'd use some words right now because that's so, so, such a lie. Come to consult the Lord. Kevin, what do you think the real motives are? Uh, show that they're trying to, to find some wisdom. Like, who are they trying to show? The rest of the officials that they're hanging out. The with. rest of the officials, the rest of the exiles. But remember, one of the issues that we always have in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel is false prophets. 
false teachers. And what's the message that they're constantly saying? We're going to get out of here sooner. The destruction isn't going to come. It's not going to be as bad or, hey, there's, what are you talking about? 70 years, you know, right? It's like this mentality. So they're going to come and play the part. They're going to come and do the religious game that they know how to play. They came to consult the Lord and they, they sat down in front of me. Man, if I'm, if I'm the prophet, I don't know. I, I'd either get tired of these guys or I'd get really excited because the Lord's going to give me another word to hammer these guys. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens, you guys. In verse 2, it says, Then the word of the Lord, right here it is again, came to me. Verse 3, Son of man, which this phrase, Son of man, we might have time by the end to get into this a little bit, but this is a phrase commonly used to describe Kevin who? Ezekiel. Not Jesus. I, I'm not trying to be funny here. Like a lot of times you hear this language, Son of man, you think of the New Testament, right? You think of even Luke, right? The Gospel of Luke. You think of Son of man. You think how God took human flesh. I do believe, though, that Ezekiel is a foreshadow of Christ. I do think what he releases is a foreshadow of what Christ is asked to do. But we're talking about Ezekiel. Ezekiel, son of man, speak with the elders of Israel. And here's what you tell them. This is what the Lord God says. Are you, are you coming to consult me? Are you coming to talk to me? As I live, I will not be consulted by you. <laughs> uh, as long as I live, this is God saying, which Kevin, is, as long as God lives, you know what that means? It will never happen. It will never happen. Your religious games will never happen in front of me. I will not be consulted by you. This is the declaration. This is the declaration of the Lord God. You know, it's so, it's so true. Warren Wiersbe says this. Ezekiel knew their hearts were not right with God. And they had no right to ask the Lord for instruction. Why? Because in Ezekiel 18, there was no repentance. In Ezekiel 18, there's no turning away from things to turn to the Lord. They're still playing this crazy game. And so what you have is, is a, a whole lot of history. In verse four, it says, will you pass judgment against them? Will you pass judgment, son of man? Explain the detestable practices of their fathers to them. Now, okay, the abominations of their fathers. Now, Kevin, when you read this, explain to them the abominations of the fathers. My head, Kevin, you did a scratch there on your head um, because we just talked about... Did we just talk about that that doesn't matter? But here's what you have to understand, though. History is important so that we can learn what not to do. That's the important part, is history is important to what not to do. A couple different great quotes. I love these. Uh, it, uh, Norman Cousins. Here's a new one for you. History is a vast early warning system. So if you learn from your history, it now becomes a warning system. Don't do these things, you idiots. <laughs> uh, anybody else think that's funny? Was that a Kyle Martin quote? Yeah, no, that was not my quote. Okay, here's another thing. Dr. Lawrence J. Peter, he says this. The one thing we learn from history is we don't learn from history. The one thing... <laughs> that <was> so profound. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though, right? The only thing we learn from history is we don't learn from history. He continues on. He says, history teaches us the mistakes. Here it is that we're going to make. <laughs> it's prophecy. It's history totally, is prophecy. That's why this is important. So Ezekiel 20, he's going to talk about the past. But now he's saying to the elders who are going to consult the Lord is, hey, by the way, this is what you're going to experience. And by the way, you're accountable for this. And so that's why we're going through the history, because he wants his elders to learn, his elders, he wants his elders to learn, please don't do this. So in the first five through eight, verses five through eight, you're going to see, here we go, the history. 
Israel in Israel in Egypt. Here's what you're to say to them, the elders. This is what the Lord God says. On the, on the day I chose Israel, I swore an oath to the descendants of Jacob's house, and I made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them saying, I am the Lord your God. Okay, so he, this is a, a cool picture here. So during this period of time, uh, Kevin, it's pretty clear. God says, look, I'm with you. I mean, he says to them in the land of Egypt, uh, he says, I'm going, look what he says in verse six. On that day, I swore to them, I bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. I also said to them, each one of you must throw away the detestable things that are before your eyes. Why? Because they're in Egypt and not defile yourselves with the idols, idols of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. But they rebelled against me and were unwilling to listen to me. None of them threw away the detestable things that were before their eyes, and they did not forsake the idols of Egypt. So I considered pouring out my wrath on them, <laughs> exhausting my anger against them within the land of Egypt. Okay, they're in Egypt. All he says is, look, I'm going to send you into this incredible land flowing of milk and honey. Just don't bring the baggage from Egypt. Just don't bring the idols from your past. Like, just move on clearly with nothing from the past. I love this study. Jacob's family, while they were in Egypt, it started off with 66 people. Okay, Warren Wearsby describes Jacob's family as 66 people in Genesis 12. And then when you move to Genesis 46, okay, it came to 70. Okay, it came to 70. But when they left Egypt at Exodus, the fighting men alone in Numbers 14, uh, Numbers 1, excuse me, the fighting men alone were 600,000. You know what that says to me? God is clearly blessing his people. He's with their people. And now he says, look, all of you, please don't bring your Egyptian idols. Don't bring your false gods. So remember this as I'm sitting telling you, as Ezekiel tells his elders, look, do you not recognize God was with them when he took them? But he says, don't don't bring your stuff. It's interesting, Kevin, just even in this language of being in one place, going to another. I mean, he's talking to exiles right now. He's talking to exiles in Babylon. He says, guys, please, like, there's, there's something you can learn from this, right? Don't bring the stuff that you're experiencing right now. Israel and Egypt saw the hand of God. And what were they told? Uh, please throw away the idols. Okay, now he continues on in verses 9 and 10. And here's what you have is Israel's uh, exodus from Egypt. Okay, so just in verses 9 through 10, this is in 5 through 8. Scripture then says, but I acted because of my name. In other words, I'm not going to completely destroy him. That's why he says that. So it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations that they were living among. In other words, I'd kind of like have a name for myself. In whose sight I had my, made myself known to Israel by bringing them up out of Egypt. So he says in verse 10, so I brought them out of the land of Egypt and led them into the wilderness. If you go to, uh, can you go to Isaiah 66, verse 5 for me, Kevin, please. Isaiah 66, verse 5. Uh, scripture says, Yet you who tremble at his word, uh, hear the word of the Lord. Your brothers who hate you and exclude you because of me have said, Let the Lord be glorified so that we can see your joy. But they will be put to shame. There's this whole point of whatever the Lord is doing in this process, it's for the Lord's glory. So that people can experience his joy. I mean, this is the heartbeat. So I brought them out of Egypt 
So he, he was in with them in Egypt, but he says, look, just throw away your idols. Now he says in verses nine through 10, look, here's what I want you to know. I'm bringing them and I'm leading them into where? Into wilderness. Why? And so, well, then Kevin in verses 11 through 12, it's now Israel at Sinai. Verses 11 through 12. And again, this is Ezekiel hearing a word from the Lord. He's talking to the elders who really have no desire to even listen to this, but at least they're going to get this out. And by the way, this is happening August 14th, 591 BC. It's kind of a cool picture. There's actually history being released. Verse 11, he says, Then I gave them my statutes and explained my ordinances to them. So I brought them out of Egypt. I brought them from, from Egypt. Now I'm putting them at Mount Sinai. And he says, I'm giving them my statutes, my ordinances. The person who does them will live by them. He says, I also gave them my Sabbaths to serve as a sign between me and them so they will know that I am the Lord who sets them apart as holy. I mean, God clearly gave them, gave them the law. He gave them the Ten Commandments. And so it's like God is just, he brought them out of bondage. He miraculously brought them through the sea. He puts them at Mount Sinai. He gives them Moses. Moses then receives uh, the Ten Commandments, the law, and they really believe that God is with them. <clears throat> the problem is, Kevin, it doesn't say this in verse 11 and 12. Do you remember what happened after, while Moses was getting the word from the Lord? What were the other people doing? They were making a golden calf. So here you have Ezekiel reminding, this is important, Ezekiel's reminding his elders, by the way, this is how, I'm going to show you how we've gotten to this point today. Please do not uh, walk in the same path. That's why they're going down the history. They wanted to know, what's the deal? Why are we here? What's going on? I'll show you, he says. <laughs> and then in verses 13 through 26, a lot longer, he then begins, what Wearsby says is he begins to describe Israel in the wilderness. So here's what happens. Right. They, they have everything they need, the law, the ordinances, the Sabbath resting. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They didn't follow my statutes. They rejected my ordinances. The person who does them will live by them. They also completely profaned my Sabbaths. Interesting enough, while they're in exile for 70 years because they did not live according to the Sabbath. So I considered there, there's that line again. I considered pouring out my wrath on them in the wilderness to put an end to them. He continues on, but I acted because of my name so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Why? Because Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. So if he completely wipes out his own people, it doesn't do so well. So however, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land I'd given them. The most beautiful of all lands flowing with milk and honey. What, what do you mean? What do you mean you're not going to give me into that land? Well, Kevin, remember they sent him out in spies? Remember this? While they're there, they sent out 12 spies. How many come back, Kevin? 12. 12. And then what was the, what was the report? Uh, two said, let's go. 10 said, I'm not sure. I don't think we can do it. It says in verse 16, because they rejected my ordinances, profaned my Sabbaths, did not follow my statutes, for their hearts went after their idols. But I spared them from destruction and did not bring them to an end in the wilderness. I kept them there, <laughs> but I didn't destroy them. Then I said to the children... Their children in the wilderness, don't follow the statutes of your fathers, defile yourselves with their idols or keep their ordinances. It kind of feels like a little bit of an insight into Ezekiel 18. It says, don't live according to your father. I am the Lord your God. Follow my statutes, keep my ordinances and practice them. Here's really where he's going, you guys, with his elders. In Ezekiel 20, 18 and 19, he said, guys, I want you, don't learn from your fathers. I need you to do this. 
Keep my Sabbaths holy. They will be a sign between me and you. My Sabbath is a sign so that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children, what happened? Even the children were given a chance, but they rebelled against me. So there's this constant theme of God giving a chance and they rebelling. He's giving them a chance and they're rebelling. They did not follow my statutes or carefully keep my ordinances. The person, he keeps saying this, who does them will live by them. They also profane my Sabbath. So I considered, here it is again, hmm. I considered pouring out my wrath on them and exhausting my anger against them in the wilderness, but I withheld my hand and I acted because of my name so that it would not be profaned in the eyes of the nations in whose side I brought them out. It's almost like God actually cares about his reputation. It's almost like he really wants people to see God's hand is on Israel, so I'm not going to wipe them out. Ezekiel's talking to his elders. He says, guys, I want you to use this as a warning. Please do not do these things. However, I swore to them in the wilderness that I'd disperse them among the nations and I'd scatter them among the countries. So the scattering came because of rebellion. The scattering came because of preservation (laughs) and he didn't want to kill them out. So then he scattered them and he says, okay, he says, for they did not practice my ordinances, but they rejected my statues, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. I'm pretty sure almost in every bullet point we've now seen some form of their eyes have been fixed on something not of God. That's exactly what was happening. Verse 25, I also gave them statues that that were not good and ordinances that they could not live by. Finally, in verse 26, when they made every firstborn pass through the fire, which is false worship, turning it over to false gods, I defiled them through their gifts in order to devastate them so that they would know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. So here you have, Kevin, in every stage, God warning them, get rid of your idols, get your idols off, get your eyes off of the idols and, and turn to me. Like, that's what he's saying. We've had four bullet points. That's all it is. Turn to me. Get rid of those things. Turn to me. And, and God is gracious enough that he's not going to wipe them out. And what you see in 27 through 30, Warren Wiersbe says it's pretty simple. Israel is now described in the promised land. So in verses 27 through 30, finally, they get to enter into new land. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel. Tell them. It's like the Lord is just keep reminding, like, here's your next talking point. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, point A, okay, go. Okay, good, point B. I mean, this is exactly what's happening. Son of man, speak to the house of Israel and tell them this is what the Lord God says. In this way, also your fathers blaspheming me by committing treachery against me. When I brought them into the land that I swore, here it is, to give them, right, the promised land. As soon as they walk in, what happens? They saw any high hill or leafy tree. They offered their sacrifices and presented their offerings, offensive offerings there. So when they saw the good things, they abused them. They also set up their pleasing aromas and poured out their drink offerings there. So I asked them, what is this high place you are going to? And it is called the high place to this day. Uh, In other words, uh, they actually offered at this point, they offered up their children for sacrifice again. Same thing. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. Are you defiling yourselves with what your fathers did and prostituting yourselves with their detestable things? Man, if I am the elders and I'm hearing this, I'd be like, gosh, that's still us. Gosh, that's still what we do. And then he says, okay, fine, let's move on. I'm going to give you another point. Now we're going to make it a little bit more practical right here as far as their, their points. So now you're going to have Israel in exile in Babylon. 
Okay, so we pretty much have gone through history, and now we're going to be like, I'm making this you. I'm speaking into you. When you offer your gifts, he's talking to his the, the, the elders, making your children pass through the fire. You continue to defile yourselves with all your idols to this day. So Kevin, he's specifically calling out the elders. You continue to do this. So should I be consulted by you, house of Israel? So here's that language. God is like, oh, I'm sorry, you want for consultation? Should I be consulted by you? Do you not understand? You continue to do this. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will not be consulted by you. And I love in verse 32, when you say, let us be like nations, like the peoples of other countries, worshiping wood and stone, what you have in mind will never happen. They were truly living like their fathers. This was happening. That's the language that's happening. And at every point, warning, 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 warning. Hey, by the way, and... And now you're living this thing out. It's kind of like all the lights are on on the dash. All of them are. And they're like, hey, nothing wrong here. Hey, speaking of, my tire light came on today. I need to look at that. (laughs) Warning. (laughs) Now, okay, so now here you have Israel in exile in Babylon, right? Now here you have, Wiersbe says, a description of Israel's future kingdom. Okay, so this is current. Now we have a future Okay, and then all of this is past, past, current, and now we are into future. He says, as I live, the declaration of the Lord God, I will rule over you with a strong hand, an outstretched arm and outpoured wrath. Kind of interesting. When I hear that language, I'll be like, well, based on the past, God doesn't really pour out his wrath yet. Right. It's kind of like, but he says, I will do this. I will rule over you with a strong hand, an outstretched hand, uh, an outstretched arm, and an outpoured wrath. Kevin, you go to Second Corinthians for me. Second Corinthians six, verse seventeen. Therefore, come out from among them and and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. Okay. Use this picture from the Apostle Paul. There will be a time of cleansing and separation. Okay, just keep that in mind. Okay, okay. now let's go back to this. Okay, now here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bring out a wrath. And then he says in verse 35, I will lead you into the wilderness of the peoples. In other words, it's going to be a future gathering. And they're going to enter into judgment with you there face to face. Kevin, what you're going to experience is that they have to deal with their sins is what he's going to do. He's going to gather everybody together. There's going to be a time of separation. It's going to be a time of cleansing. And then he continues on and it says this in verse 36, just as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So in the future, through Christ coming back, yes, here he is. I'm integrating now the new David. I'm integrating the Messiah. When he comes back, judgment is coming just like how it came to the fathers. It's coming to you. And judgment is coming to you, not based on, we've already learned this, not based on the fathers, but Kevin, based on, on them, on their current sin. Like this is the reality. Don't live in the past, man. Judgment is coming and it's going to based on how you do things in your life. So verse 37, it says, I will make you pass under the rod and will bring you under the bond of the covenant. It is pass under the rod mentality. Uh, it is, for me, Wiersbe says it this way. God uses a shepherd figure. 
kind of like that rod mentality. And, and since he was there, he, he really was their, their good shepherd. So Kevin, what happens? A good shepherd, what does he do? He's going to gather, right? He's gathering in the sheep. It's that new David mentality that we've been talking about, you know, even in, in Exodus, I believe, uh, is it Exodus 34? I always flip these. Ezekiel 30. Oh yeah, it's Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel. I don't know. I'm going to get this someday. Uh, go to Ezekiel 34. I will save my flock and they'll no longer be prey for you. I will judge between, there it is. Here's this image, you guys. I will judge between one sheep and another. Verse 23, I'll point over them a single shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and he will be their shepherd. So this is the language that you have. He says in verse 37, I'm going to pass under the rod. I'm going to bring you into the bond of the covenant. The new David, the new shepherd, he's going to actually bring them into the fold. Now watch in verse 38. And I will also purge you of those who rebel and transgress against me. You know what that means? It means as he's gathering the flock, in my mind, some don't come in. I'll bring them out of the land where they live as foreign residents, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. In other words, John MacArthur says it this way. God will see that no rebel, no one without the renewing of his spirit in salvation will come back to the land and have a part in the Messianic kingdom. This is a big picture here, you guys. We're talking about the future kingdom and you got to talk about a new David, a new shepherd. And what does he do? If you're functioning in the old evilness, in the in the wickedness, as he comes back, he's going to take this rod, the shepherd rod. and He says, nope. Yes. Nope. Yes. There will be a separation. That's a really powerful picture. And he says in verse thirty nine. As for you, house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. Go and serve your idols, each of you. But afterwards, you'll surely listen to me and you will no longer defile my holy name with your gifts and idols. For on my holy mountain, Israel's high mountain, the declaration of the Lord God, there the entire house of Israel, all of them will serve me in the land. There I will accept them and will require your contributions and choicest gifts, all your holy offerings. It says, when I bring you from the peoples and gather you from the countries where you've been scattered, I'll accept you as a pleasing aroma. So that scattering now leads to the gathering. The scattering leads to the gathering and it's the new David. It's the, it's the shepherd Jesus that actually gathers everybody together. And as that gathering takes place, it becomes a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And I will demonstrate my holiness through you in the sight of the nations. Even though the Jewish people are scattered everywhere right now and in rebellion, they're a rebellious house. Scripture says, yeah, but when I bring you back, I'm going to demonstrate my holiness so that everybody in the world sees my hand is on you. He's telling the elders this through Ezekiel. And he says, when I lead you, I'm in verse 42, when I lead uh, you into the land of Israel, the land I swore to give your fathers, you will know that I am Yahweh. Yes. If I'm an elder and I'm sitting there and I'm in exile, it sure sounds like he's talking about Oh, we're going back to Jerusalem. Oh, we're going back into the land. You guys, but the reality is, is um, like he's talking about a bigger picture. But you got to go through a history lesson. Warning, 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 warning. And all this is on August 14th, the day that they got in trouble. <laughs> the day that the elders got their hands slapped and said, look, here's the deal. You're not going to figure this out until you realize it doesn't come except through, yes, through the coming David, the new David, the Messiah, and he's going to come and establish a new kingdom. That, my friends, is when finally all of Israel will get it figured out. All right, guys, uh, 
you know, I guess I should say this. This has been Ezekiel. We did a little bit of 19, a little bit, a lot of 20. Um, but I'll just say as far as Ezekiel 21 goes, you're basically seeing a prophesy, uh, prophecy about Jerusalem and Israel. And, and there's some interesting language here, you guys. There's actually some fun language here. Um, I don't want to put this. There's judgment against the kings. And then it talks about how the crown and the scepter are removed actually from the house of David. But yet in verse 27, will you go there, Kevin? Ezekiel 21, verse 7. Even though things don't look good, even though things have been removed, here's the hope that's being communicated in Ezekiel 21, 27. A ruin, a ruin, I will make it a ruin, yet this will not happen until he comes. I've given the judgment to him. Which doesn't this summarize, you guys, the reality of all of Ezekiel 20? None of this happens. Fulfillment and judgment and hope doesn't come until he comes. Praise the Lord, because he is coming. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll continue our study of Ezekiel, not Exodus, tomorrow.